Well, hey, man, my name is, is Pastor Zach. Uh, my wife, Jenna, and I, with about 36 other people, had the opportunity to plant Multiply Church about five and a half years ago. And, and man, if you're new here, we like to have a good time. Uh, that's why people put random stuff on the table. Uh, we were at a birthday party for Angie Perez yesterday, and she had a, uh, an 80s-themed birthday party. And Chaz showed up with a fanny pack. He said, guess what's in my fanny pack? And I was like, what's that? <laughs> really didn't want to know. Um, <laughs> but he pulled out this Game Boy. And I kid you not, for about 10 minutes, people were having conversation. And I was like this. Anybody grow up playing game? The only two like gaming systems that I've ever owned was like a Game Boy like this and a Sega Genesis. So who, who does not know what this is? Who's never played one of these before? Who's never held one? I will pray for your soul because spiritual things happen when you play Game Boys. Well, hey, um, if, if you're new here, again, we want to make you feel welcomed. And, and the way we do that is we don't want to embarrass you. We don't want to call you out, but we do want to get to know you. So if this is your first week, second week, or maybe even your third week here, we're going to go ahead and ask you to start making your way to the front. No, no. <laughs> Somebody just grabbed like their spouse's arm and said, we're not going up and we're never coming back. Right? Now, we're just a bunch of people that, that honestly like to do life together. And, uh, and we hope that you find uh, Multiply Lake Norman to, to maybe be uh, a home that you can hang out in on Sundays. Two other announcements that I need to make. The first one is this. Hey, we have Mother's Days coming up May the 14th. Don't forget your mamas, all right? Um, listen, if you're a husband and you have kids... That means you need to go get balloons and cards and flowers, all right? Give them to the kids to give it to mama, all right? This is what we know about Mother's Day. If you're a mom in the room and you call Multiply Lake Norman home, we know that people will go to church with you on your day. So invite your family to church. And if you call Multiply Lake Norman home and your mama's not in the room, then, man, invite her to be with us on that day. We're going to have a special day planned. Uh, we're going to be doing our child dedications and family dedications. And we'll also have a kind of build-your-own bouquet for mom. So we'll make it very special. Uh, last thing that I need to talk about before we get going uh, into our new series is today, right after service, we're having our business meeting. So we're going to be voting on uh, the potential sale of the land. So again, want to inform everyone in the room that everyone is invited, and that'll be directly after this service right in here. So here we go. We're stepping into our new series. Our new series is called Home. So stepping out of Easter, stepping into this thing. And the older that I get, the older that my girls get, the more focused that I'm becoming. Because if I'm honest with you, uh, in my early 20s, and maybe I'll get some amens for this, uh, but in my early 20s, I was an idiot. Like, I didn't focus on, I see like a little bit of smile, like nobody wants to admit, you don't want to admit that you weren't smart. All right, somebody admit with me that they weren't smart in their early 20s. All right, now listen, all the kids in the room, look around at your parents and go, hey, tell me those stories later, all right? But Ben, I wasn't, I wasn't focusing, and honestly, I was a bit selfish in my early 20s. And, and when I got married, I, I realized there were, there were things that, that I had picked up or learned on that I needed to unlearn to, to step into my marriage. And, and that's not an excuse. It was just kind of an awareness that I, I've made mistakes, and I've had to apologize, and I've had to ask for forgiveness, and I've had to earn back trust. And, and the more years that go by, especially with my girls now in the, ha the house, the more I realize how much they look up to me and how much they look up to my wife. And, and that's why I've come to realize the importance of the home. 
And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of home, not just from our personal homes, but from the perspective of our church home as well. And this idea of drilling in that we're called to have a unified front. Now, let me explain what a unified front is for those who don't have kids. If you have kids, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. In our household, this always happens around dinner time. At dinner time, the girls get their plates of food, and they start to eat, and then about 17 seconds later, they say, Daddy, I'm full. Anybody else in the room? And Dad, Dad, I'm full. And they'll kind of slide their, their plate to the side, and, and what happens is about 30 minutes later, they run over going, Daddy, I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? Well, let's go back to the evidence. The evidence says that you didn't eat your dinner, so you can eat this plate of food. You can't have a snack. But this is the idea of a unified front. If a kid gets told no by one parent, the very next thing they do is what? Go to the next parent. So Jenna and I have a secret code in our house. And it's kind of like Morris code. It's called text messaging. And so, so what we do is if I tell Piper or if I give Piper an answer, what she's going to do is she's going to run up the stairs. And my goal is to get to my phone and to text the British are coming. The British are coming, right? <laughs> but to te- like to text something as quickly as I can. And those text messages typically look like this. I told her no. I told her it was up to you. Or I told her that you could make the decision. Right? And, and so we have to be a unified front. The worst thing that can happen in our household is if we don't have a unified front. And I tell Piper one answer. Well, let's tell the realness of the story. Jenna will tell Piper one answer, and that answer is typically no. And then I'm like, sure, (laughs) you can have whatever you want. And then I hear, I told her no. Check your phone, (laughs) like from upstairs. But, But the problem is when you don't have a unified front, it creates confusion and chaos. And what I realize in my household is that if Jenna tells Piper one thing and I tell her the other thing, it it absolutely causes confusion and chaos. And she can't comprehend why one parent told her no and why the other parent told her yes. And and Lord forbid, you're the parent that told her, you don't love me anymore. Yes, I do. I just told you no. And that's why I love you. But again, this confusion and this chaos, and and I feel like that's what we're seeing in our culture and our society. So there's only one point that I have today, and we'll learn and teach and preach through this one point the entire time. But the one point is this. A unified home is a strong home. A unified home is a strong home. So if you're taking notes, jot that down. And I'm realizing this is with our personal homes and with our church homes as well. I don't know if you've seen the news or a social media post lately, but it feels like the enemy is on the move. And if I ask you the question, how does the enemy attack? The answer is very simple. It's through confusion and it's through chaos. In John chapter 8, we see Jesus kind of going blow to blow with the religious leaders of the day. And they're questioning Jesus. They're denying Jesus. They're saying, hey, how could you save us? Do you even know who we are? In John chapter 8, verse 33, the Pharisees say this, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And a few verses later, Jesus responds in John 8, 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. I mean, this entire interaction is absolutely savage. You've got the Pharisees going blow to blow with Jesus. And really what they're saying is, hey, bud, don't you know who I am? 
don't you know my last name? Don't you know who my dad was? Don't you know who his dad, don't you know what I come from? Don't you know my lineage? Don't you know my heritage? Don't you know who I am? Our, our father is Abraham, and Abraham was directly connected to God. Don't you know who you're talking to? How dare you say you can set us free? And Jesus kind of looks back, and he says, Bud, you don't belong to God. You, you know who you belong to? You belong to the devil. You know how I know that? Because you desire what he desires. I don't know if you can feel the tension in, in this moment, but we have to ask the question, then what are the desires of the devil? We have to drill in to the text. Well, the desires of the devil are simple. It's anything that opposes God. It's anything that opposes Scripture. And what I feel like we're seeing in our culture, in our society, is that too many churches and too many people are making excuses for the Bible opposed to just preaching the Bible. We want to apologize for what Scripture says opposed to preaching what Scripture says. And I don't say that for clickbait. I don't say that for an applause or, or to turn heads. I say that because, church, it absolutely concerns me. It, it concerns me uh, not first as a pastor, but it concerns me as a pastor. First, it concerns me as a parent. Because the older that my girls get, the more of the world they're going to see. And that scares the nonsense out of me. So, so, so what are we preaching in these types of settings? Are we just preaching feel-good messages so that we can fill an auditorium? Are, are we preaching to, to make sure that people like us so they'll like our social media posts, so they'll share our social media posts, so they'll tell our friends that they can feel safe at this church? Or are we preaching the true infallible word of God? I, I heard a speaker say this this past week, that it's not our job to, to make sure that, that the word of God rests in people's hearts. It's our job to communicate it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to make sure that it rests in their hearts and in their minds and in their souls. So, so as we gather together, we have to make sure that our church is a unified front. We have to continue to preach the infallible and true word of God. If we continue reading in John chapter 8, Jesus says this about the devil. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he actually speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. The world, culture, and society does nothing but spit lies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Scripture says this, But I fear, somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Man, it's easy to follow Jesus. The world makes it muddy. How do they make it muddy? Through confusion and through chaos. And again, if you have confusion and chaos, ultimately those two things lead to destruction. If we follow the confusion and the chaos of the world, it will lead to the destruction of marriages. The confusion and the chaos of the world leads to the, the, the destruction of innocence. Confusion and chaos leads to the destruction of purity. Confusion and chaos leads to the destruction of mental health. What we're seeing right now is that confusion and chaos leads to the destruction of kids by robbing them of their childhood. Confusion and chaos will ultimately lead to the destruction of your calling. I'm a firm believer that one of the main problems inside the, the global church is that we've actually forgotten who we're fighting against. 
Because Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, we're too busy pointing fingers at the cause of the issue. Well, I'm going to point fingers at secondary issues and secondary byproducts. And I'm going to point the finger at red. And I'm going to point the finger at blue. And I'm going to point the finger at these political parties. And I'm going to point the finger at everyone else except for myself. The church has gotten really good at saying, we're going to, you know what? As long as we give everyone else their own individuality, then we don't have to actually preach what the Bible says. We can, we can literally just allow them to act how they want to, when they want to, why they want to. I'll say it again for you, Nikkei. If we don't... By the way, you can do that in this church. We like to have fun. The problem is we've treated church as a theater production opposed to a conversation. So why do I, uh, why do I appreciate people talking back? It's because this has to be more of a dialogue. The church is not a monologue. A sermon cannot be a monologue that you just consume. It has to be a dialogue that we talk about. It's not just something that takes place on a Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle Monday through Saturday as well. Let me get back to my notes before I start preaching something else. (laughs) But we don't take ownership. We have to become a unified front and say, not on my watch. If we're not going to fight for our own home, if we're not going to fight for our own family, then who will? It's a rhetorical question. You know the answer. Nobody. Nobody will. We've been caught slacking. And if we don't fight for our homes, then all of the confusion and all the chaos and all of the destruction happens because the church is not a unified front. Multiply like Norman. We will be a unified front. Here's the deal. I can't, pl- I can't blame you if you haven't been taught. I can't blame you if you don't understand. I can't blame you if you've never dove into the scripture long enough to, to pull out the truths. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is, is we're going to take a look at some hard topics in life. What, what does the Bible say about bi- biblical marriage? What does the Bible say about your identity? Where is it found? What does the Bible say about raising kids? What does the Bible say about the... the the constructs that our society is trying to impose on us. I don't want to give you my opinion. I don't want to give you what Zach Witt thinks. I don't want to give you what Twitter says. I don't want to give you something that's going to get a lot of likes on social media. I want to give you what the Bible says. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If we dive into the original text, the Greek word for sober is is napho, which means to be calm, cool, and collected and to have self-control. As Christians, we've lost our self-control. Me being first, especially on I-77 when someone cuts me off. I lose my self-control. But what I've realized is this. In most, if not every situation... The individual who is prepared the most is the one who remains the most calm. And again, as Christ followers, we've gotten rattled. We've let the enemy live rent-free in our head. So in 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter is saying, okay, have a sober mind. Have some self-control. Have a cool head. Stay alert. 
Because if you don't, the devil is out there roaming around looking for someone to devour. So in this verse, in this sentence, the understood outcome is this. If you're not alert, if you're a hothead, if you don't have self-control, then you're the enemy's next lunch. So, so how are you controlling the thoughts in your own head? Are they starting with scripture or are they starting with culture and society? Now, growing up, man, I, I played a, a lot of sports. I was never the fastest. I was never the strongest. I was never the most athletic. Now, I know me standing up here now, you're thinking, how in the world could that be? <laughs> okay, that wasn't a joke. <laughs> that... <laughs> No, no, but, but seriously, like I, I, was never, I was never any of those things. So I would do whatever I could to get inside someone's head. Because if I could get inside someone's head early enough, I would live there the rest of the game. Lord forbid, playing baseball, played for 12 years, Lord forbid someone ended up on second base. Because I'm going to talk so much trash to them. I'm ta- you wouldn't think I would do that, right? I mean, I would talk a lot of trash to people. My goal was to get in their head. My goal was for them to talk back to me. My goal was to get them to focus on what I was saying. Because if I could create confusion, if I could create chaos, they're no longer focused on the game. They're focused on me. And that's what the enemy has done to Christ followers. He's living rent-free in our head. We're focusing on the confusion. We're focusing on the chaos. And we're not focusing on the game that's been set before us. And so I think sports teams do a great job at this, and, and, and we see it a lot, especially in, in, in real college football. And what I mean by real college football is SEC football. Can I get anybody to say amen? Anybody opposed? Well, it was, yeah. <laughs> what, what, who said that? Oh, Lord, Amber. Well, this is going to be easy. What's your team, Amber? Oh, you want to say that with some confidence, like you're proud about it? Uh-huh. Tar, Tar Hills. The, the real Carolina. That's weird because in the last bowl game that Carolina made it to, they played South Carolina, and South Carolina beat North Carolina. So I, th- I think, I think that makes South Carolina the real, the real Carolina. No, okay. Um, but in college football, they do it all the time. I'm a big, I'm a big South Carolina football fan, by the way. And, and what they do during their practices is they play the opposing team's theme song in their, uh, like during practice midweek, before they go on an away game. Why? Because when you step into a hostile environment, when you step into the opposing team's field, they'll do whatever they can to rattle you. And a lot of them have like annoying music, like, Rocky Top, Rocky Top. Where you at, Josh? I know you're in here somewhere. Oh, you came to first server. I think you came to first server. But they'll blast this music. And again, opposing teams will do whatever they can to get in someone's head. Now, I think one of the best teams at doing this is actually Texas A&M Baseball. Now, what Texas A&M baseball does is this. Every time a pitcher throws four straight balls, the entire stadium begins to chant. Take a look at this video. And it's a four-pitch walk. And now something special here at Texas A&M. As the entire student section, the 12th man, and everybody else starts chanting ball five after a four-pitch walk, they'll continue with every subsequent pitch. And they can rattle an opposing pitcher. I want you to a young notice man from Minnesota missed with 11 consecutive pitches. Of the crowd. Before giving up a game-winning triple. Ball five, ball five, ball five, ball five, ball 
They just keep going. They said it was like the student section, and then you look around like, that's an 87-year-old man screaming. Notice the volume. They didn't care if that dude got hit or not. No, everybody thought he got hit. He didn't get hit. They just kept screaming. That guy is mad right now. So, does anybody else feel like that in life? That's what the enemy does. Every fear, every failure, every shortcoming, every sin, anything that goes wrong in your life, the enemy is just taunting you. What is he trying to do? Create confusion and create chaos that will ultimately lead to your destruction. Does anybody else ever feel like that pitcher on the pitcher mound? Again, I grew up, grew up playing baseball. Pat, that's you. I was like, so Pat, I used you. I'm going to use Pat now. <clears throat> so Pat, you pitched for Gardner-Webb. Did you ever get rattled as a pitcher? Be honest. Did you ever get rattled? You, you got rattled sometimes. Isaac, Isaac said the same thing. Isaac said, I got rattled, just couldn't let anybody know. This is what happens when a pitcher gets rattled. Typically, there's a timeout called, and there's what's called a mound visit. Now, the mound visit is this. The coach will come out to the mound and, and kind of get inside the player's head and say, hey, I don't know what's going on in there. you got to figure it out. Like, let, let's get through this half inning. Here's the unique thing about baseball. In that moment, it's not just the coach coming to the mound. What happens? The entire team comes. And the entire team gives encouragement. The entire team kind of lifts up the pitcher. The entire team says, I got your back. The entire team says, I'm, I'm in this with you. That's what Sunday mornings are for us. So for us, listen, that's why we say church is important on Sundays. Because I know that Monday through Saturday is like being on the pitcher's mound. Monday through Saturday, you can get rattled. Monday through Saturday, you can hear the enemy. Monday through Saturday, you can hear culture. You can hear society. You can hear everyone screaming at you. And it's hard to hear the voice of God sometimes. I get it. I'm there. I'm a pastor, and I get it. That's why today is important. Not just this Sunday, but every Sunday after. That's why family is important. That's why the home is important. Because sometimes we just need to call a timeout and go, you know what, I'm with you. Hey, you know what, I got your back. Church has to be a place, again, it's a dialogue, not a monologue. It has to be a place that we can have conversation. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I want to walk in the room and as the pastor, I want to sit down and I want to say, hey, can we just have a conversation? Because I don't know if any other parents are, are feeling the way th that I am. But uh, the more my girls get into the world, the more confused I can be. I still have my convictions, but, but what, what do I tell them? What do I not tell them? And, and I'll give you the example. This one's kind of funny. Uh, my, my daughter was at school. Um, this was, I don't know, when did you, I don't know, six, seven, four, let's say four months ago. I'll make it up. Four months ago. If I'm wrong, I promise you my wife will correct me. Uh, but like four months ago, my daughter gets a kiss from a boy at school. I think I told you that in here. I almost ended up in prison that day. <laughs> I was going after his dad. But then I found myself going, Piper, we don't, like, we don't kiss boys. Well, Piper, girls kiss boys, but you don't, 
That means you can't kiss girls, but you can kiss. And like, sometimes I just want to sit down as a parent and go, how in the world do you have these conversations with your kid? Anybody else? On a more serious note, sometimes I want to sit down and go, hey, you know, man, I've got this friend and, and they told me they were considering a, a sex change and, and how, like, how do I approach that from a biblical perspective? I, like, I don't, I don't think it's right. And I, I want to love the person and I want to tell them that they're, that they're wrong and I want to, but how do I have that conversation? Or, or maybe in, in your household, you've got, you've got someone who's addicted to something. Maybe they're addicted to alcohol. They're addicted to cocaine. They're addicted to heroin. They're addicted to, what, hey, and I don't know how to have this conversation. And, and man, it's actually destroying my home and there's some arguments in the household, but we believe God. And I just, can I just get somebody to walk alongside of me and to believe with me? And can, can we take a look at what the Bible says? And, and I don't, it cannot be a monologue. It can't be you just listening to whoever. I don't care if it's me or another communicator up here. It can't be just let me word vomit on you and hope you grab something and take it out with you. It's got to be a conversation and a dialogue both this way and this way. Why do we say, hey, turn and greet your neighbor? It's not so that you can awkwardly like shake hands with the person that you've shook their hands six weeks in a row and still don't know their name. Claire, Taya, Taya, Claire, y'all know each other, you know, like, you need to, like, actually know the person beside you, so that when life happens, when we need to call the mound visit, when we need to come together, we can all be a unified front moving in the same direction, regardless of the confusion, regardless of the chaos, again, confusion, chaos, destruction, unified front, harder to take over, we have to recognize that as A church, what are the questions that you need to ask? Church can't be a place that we just get some feel-good stories. This has to be a place where we take a biblical look on the things that we face in life. Because a unified front establishes that people can't be picked off as easily. A, A unified front says that we're staying strong. Now, here's the good news in which we're facing today. The enemy isn't bashful or shy anymore. The enemy's out in the open. We know exactly what we're fighting. I'll put it this way, culture and society will tell you that you get to pick your gender, that you can identify however you want to identify, that if you're single, hook up with anyone and everyone that you want to, and regardless of what happens after that, it's your body and your choice. The culture and society will tell you that you have to be affirming even if it goes against your individual beliefs. The enemy is absolutely out in the open. In 1942, it was a Marine by the name of Lieutenant Colonel Chesty Puller. There you go. Are you a Marine? Me too. We'll talk after. So you know, like we learned about Chesty at Boot Camp. Where'd you go to Boot Camp? Oh wait, did you go to Paris Island or did you go to Hollywood? You're not a real Marine. (laughs) I mean, you got issued sunglasses and sunscreen. No, let's not do this. We we can talk about it after. He's a real Marine. Just sub-Marine. Basically like the Navy. Uh, So anyway, Lieutenant Colonels, you're going to appreciate this in 7th Marine Regiment, and uh, they landed in Guadalcanal in 1942, and, and the Marines were immediately surrounded and attacked. And Chesty said this as he was walking up and down the line. He says, all right. He says, men, they're on our right, they're on our left, they're in front of us, and they're behind us. They can't get away this time. And that's the society in which we live. We know what's in front of us. We know what's behind us. We know what's on our left. We know what's on our right, and they can't get away this time. 
What are we called to do? We're called to have a unified front. We can be surrounded, but as long as we're unified, we're good. As soon as we try to do our own thing and and break off, and by our own thing, I mean don't follow the word of God, that's when we begin to be picked off. We have to be a unified front, and we have to have a starting point. And for us, the starting point will always be the Bible. I said this last week. I'll kind of say it again this week. Multiply Church exists so that people can find life, freedom, family, and purpose. Zach, what does that mean? I mean, we want individuals to find life, to step into an authentic relationship with Jesus, that they can truly follow him day in and day out. We believe that this can be a place where people find freedom. And this is how we say it. You have to take care of yesterday before you look to tomorrow. For some of you, there's some pain in your past. There's some healing that needs to take place before you can move to the future. For some of us in the room, there's unforgiveness in your past, and you have to learn to forgive so that you can move towards your future. What does it mean to take care of yesterday so that we can truly look towards tomorrow? So life, freedom, and then family. Family simple. Again, in families, you're not supposed to have a monologue. You have a dialogue. Yeah, you go through stuff. Yeah, you battle sometimes. But guess what? You're still family at the end of the day. And for us at this church, that looks like groups in a lot of manners. And so we have, we have plenty of different groups, pickleball, disc golf, hiking, CrossFit, all, all types of groups. One of my favorite groups in, in the season that I'm in is a group that I work out with uh, at 4.30 uh, at CrossFit. And uh, yeah, woo, is that Viviana? Viviana, you over there? That was you. Viviana, you're the first one on the list. No joke, you made my notes. So, but it's not because of like what I get to do. It's honestly because of who I get to do it with. Like I walk into the gym and I, and I see Viviana, I see Isaac, I see Pat, I see Judah and Dakota and Megan, I see my wife, I see Jake and Michelle and many others in the room, but, but man, I love walking into the gym, not because of what I get to do, because honestly, honestly like I don't want to do the workouts half the time, but it's, it's who I get to do it with. Now we also have Bible studies and having activity groups is great, but there's something about getting more Bibles in our life that I think we all need. Because if the Bible's going to be the starting point and the Bible's going to be what we follow, we should probably know what it says. And we make excuses of like why we can't get in Bible studies. It's like, oh, it's, it's too early. Oh, it's, oh, it's too late. Oh, I, I, can't, I can't get a babysitter. Well, you can get a babysitter every Friday night when you want to go have a couple drinks. You, you get to get a babysitter when you need to have a date night. It's easy for you to get a babysitter when you need a weekend away in the mountains. But you can't get a babysitter for the Bible study that meets every other week. It's like, that, thank you, Darren. I appreciate you. Listen, this has, this has to be, we're, we're going to be a church that encourages, but we're also going to encourage you to be a better and the best version of yourself. And a big part of that, the central part of that, is getting the Bible and the Word of God embedded in your soul. Pastor Doug, I know one thing that we've been working on the last six months is is being better at memorizing Scripture. Not just reading Scripture, but actually memorizing Scripture. I know many of the guys in this group that are in our our men's Bible study, like we're we're trying our best to memorize Scripture. Well, Zach, there's not not a group, you know, during the time of day that, that I can meet or in a location that I can meet. Great. Guess what? You're probably not alone. Start one. I bet people will come. I should put like a Field of Dreams clip up here. Like build it and they will. But again, I don't, I don't, say, that to, I don't say that to convict you. I say that to encourage you. 
I, I say, you heard me say this last week or a couple weeks ago. This is a clip we put out on social media. But who couldn't tell their story about salvation, about being introduced to God and to Jesus and that relationship without mentioning your name? And oftentimes it happens in those types of settings. So life, freedom, family, and then purpose. Everybody in the room has a unique divine design that God created in you to use your gifts and your talents both inside and outside the church. Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, all y'all, everybody in the room, whom I love and I long,